Good morning. It's good to be here. Um, well, this morning we're going to get into, uh, I like, for these Sunday school hours, I like to try to do something where, you, you know, when you go to school, you learn something, right? So for Sunday school, try to learn something about the Bible, right? So uh, that's always been my thought process behind it. Um, so this morning, I want us to look, um, I'm going to try to start kind of where it all happened, not really, but a little bit. You'll understand more later, but um, uh, we're going to end up looking at uh, a discouraged people on a delayed project, a discouraged people on a delayed project. Maybe that'll help you remember just exactly where we end up. Um, But if you will, open your Bible to the book of Ezra, the book of Ezra. These minor prophets, uh, you can't read a minor prophet and learn anything about it without going all over the Bible, it seems like to me. You go to study a, a small little minor prophet, and then you end up all over the Bible. So uh, I enjoy trying to understand and you know read them and uh, to get the truths out of them, because it's much harder than um, something that you just have to look up a definition, maybe as like an epistle. It can be very plain and clear. But uh, when you start getting into metaphors and uh, illustrations and stuff like that of the, the gospel and the life of a Christian, it's much harder to dig them out. Uh, but in the book of Ezra, we're going to look first uh, in chapter 1, and we're going to be doing a lot of reading here, but um, that won't hurt you. Uh, in the book of Ezra, chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. It says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. Um, I'm sure those that study the Bible a lot, like Brother David, that know all this history behind it, knows probably where we're going a little bit. Um, The children of Israel were taken captive, we all remember this part, uh, by Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar took the people of Israel and took them into captivity for 70 years, right? And uh, what's happened is is, um, uh, the Persians have taken over the Babylonians, and this King Cyrus, God has stirred his heart, and God has moved him to send back his people. And imagine that, God prophesied and said, hey... I'm going to take you captive for 70 years, and right at 70 years ends up, and some king all of a sudden decides to change things and send them back home. Um, Nebuchadnezzar also destroyed the first temple, Solomon's temple, the glorious temple, the the beautiful one, the one that was uh, coated with gold all over it. I mean, even the, as we probably call it, the foyer was coated in gold. I mean, the thing was just beautiful. Um, But uh, we'll look more into that in just a minute, but... uh, in chapter 2 of verse, in Ezra, um, you probably won't um, like to read that. That just talks about a bunch of uh, children and everything. It's good to read, and I did. In fact, I went through it, 
it gives you the numbers of how many people came back to uh, Jerusalem. It tells you who all came back, who their mommy and daddy was, and who their children were. It tells you who all came back to build the temple. And, uh, and there was 42,360 Jewish people with 7,337 men servants and 200 voice choir. How about that? So that's 103 less than 50,000 people. That's what that is. So you're looking at 49,897 people that came back from the area of Babylon back to Jerusalem to build the temple. Um, in, in chapter 3 now, we're going to look at Ezra chapter 3, uh, flip over, and uh, I want to read a few verses. Because um, what's happened is, is um, and I, if I try to go and find this now, I just realized I probably should do this, but um, we might look at it. Um, what's happened is, is King Cyrus has ordered the people to begin building the temple of God, right? Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the first temple, Solomon's temple, and now he has sent back God's people to build the temple again. And uh, what happens is, is they get the foundation done. They get the foundation done and maybe a little bit more work. It's not really uh, exact on how much, what else is done. But the temple foundation gets laid and the process gets stopped. The process is uh, it ceased to uh, keep going. The, um, some of the adversaries of uh, the Israelites, what happens is they come and they start offering their help to the Israelites. Hey, we want to help build your temple uh, for God. We want to seek your God. We want to know him. That's what they tell the Israelites. They tell the Jewish people. And what uh, Jewish people say, no thanks. And it offends them, obviously, hardens their heart, and then they go seeking the people over them to make them quit working on the temple. And they're successful. They, they get uh, the king's change during this time period of uh, sending them back, and this time, and Artaxerxes is the new king of Persia, and he sends letter and makes them quit working on the temple. But um, I want to read this for the sake of when we get down to the book of Haggai is where we're trying to go. Um, it says in verse 10 of chapter 3, and it says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And you can read about that back in First Chronicles, where David set certain people in order to sing at certain times, to sing about certain things. He set people in order to do just that. Um, and it says, And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites and chiefs, or chief of the fathers, who were ancient men, a.k.a. old men. Um, that's what that means, that they had seen the first house. When the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud. And this is a key. I think some of the commentators kind of skip over this word. This makes a big difference, in my opinion, as to the interpretation of what's happening here in this moment. It says that many shouted aloud for joy. They shouted for joy. 
They weren't so sad and miserable because this is not as big as temple as Solomon's by looking at the foundation. You couldn't tell how big Solomon's temple was or how tall it was by the foundation. Obviously, you could tell the area and uh, how the shape it was going to be in, but you couldn't tell just how big and how glorious it was going to be by looking at the stone stacked on the ground. You know, that's what what I'm thinking. Um, But it says that they shouted for joy. A few people will say that they were crying because they were upset because the temple wasn't going to be big. That don't make no sense. I don't get where they get that. But it says, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy, of joy, from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. So what's happened here is not so much that the temple has been, the foundation has been laid, and they're sad, but that they're happy. They're thankful. They're rejoicing in that the foundation of the Lord is being established. The work is being begun. They're beginning to get back to their worship routine, their rituals, to serve God. Their offerings and their sacrifices was the way that they could uh, commune with God. Uh, Charles Spurgeon calls the book of Leviticus the communion with God. You can learn about uh, the communion with God. And that's how we commune with God. How we serve Him. How we lift praises up to Him. And that's what, it's the Old Testament way. Um, but, but it's interesting. I look at it um, and I see this parallel. And uh, it may be far-fetched, I don't know. But I think about these souls saved. Mitch getting saved this past Wednesday night. We're thankful and we're rejoicing still with y'all. Um, but also Colby and Kaylee getting saved. Um, and what I think about is the foundation being laid in their hearts and the people rejoicing. You see, what they understood was it's not about what it was going to end up, but the possibilities. The fact that the foundation was laid, the fact that it had been done, that's what they're thinking about. They were looking back at the old temple thinking, finally, finally. They knew that the, what glory could come from that foundation, what could stand up from that foundation, uh, what, they would, what it would mean to their hearts by that foundation being laid. Uh, that's what I see more in them shouting and the weeping. And I think about my own life and probably most of you, uh, my happiest days of my life, I cried. Is that not weird? Is that not weird, right? When I got married, I cried. When I got saved, I cried. When Lucy was born, I cried. All these different days that are monumental days in my life, I cried. I mean, that's not a thing to say just because someone's crying that they're having a bad day, right? In fact, if you don't believe me, stick around. Miss Peggy's probably going to cry and shout at the same time. She's going to do exactly what they were doing at this time, right? Um, but uh, let's flip over to the book of Haggai now. Let's flip, flip over. And basically, um, in chapter 4 of verse, I'll read this. Y'all keep on going. Um, in chapter 4 of Ezra, it says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of captivity built the temple, and I'm at the wrong chapter, basically it's telling about the adversaries coming and uh, stopping the progress. In chapter 5, it says, Then the prophets Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of I, um, his son <laughs> prophesied. So that's when the ministry of these two prophets begin. And if you can't find the book of Haggai, look for the two books in the Old Testament that start with Z and go right between them. And you'll find that two-page book of Haggai. 
And really where I wanted to end up is more of an exhortation. I want to end up by giving you something to take home with you, you know, uh, not just maybe a bunch of history facts, right? Um, but the book of Haggai, it's split up into uh, four different prophecies. It's a very short amount of time, just uh, under a year, uh, all of his prophecies that he gives. Um, but they're very interesting that God had to raise up uh, men to get them back to doing the job that he told them to do 15 years ago. Because now we are here and we are 15 years after the work stopped, after the foundation was laid, we're 15 years later. We're 15 years down the road and God raised up two men to get them back on track, to make them get back to work. And you'll see that another king is taking the place. Uh, it says in the chapter 1 of Haggai, uh, verse 1, it says, In the second year of Darius the king. So we've had King, uh, king Cyrus, King Artaxerxes, and now we've got King Darius. Um, it says, In the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, as the children of Israel say back to the Lord, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. God told them to do something, and they said, No, it's not time. We've had a little uh, interruptions. Our process has been delayed by the king. The time has not come. And they just fall in. They just follow in right where they're... They do what they're told to do. It doesn't matter who tells them to do it. That's a problem. And I see the correlation from there, from the time there, even to our own life. God has given us plenty of commandments of what to do in our life. We don't need any more preaching in the sense to get us to do something and to tell us what to do. You've already been given in your life, no matter how old you are, you've already been given enough preaching to keep you busy for the rest of your life. That's what I mean. You've been given enough commandments from God to keep you busy for the rest of your life. Although preaching is necessary daily, I believe, but that's what the, that's what the early church did. They were in prayer and fellowship and uh, the Word daily. Um, but anyways, they... Uh, so the people tell that uh, the time has not come that the Lord's house should be built. They say, well, you know, we've had so much uh, interruptions and so many delays. It's just not time. We're just not going to do it right now. It's just too difficult. We're just not going to do it. Maybe later, Lord. We'll do it later when it's a little bit easier for us. That's what they're saying. And we do that too, don't we? We tell the Lord, well, when it's easier for me to, to witness, I'll witness. When it's easier for me to... Uh, Share the gospel with my family, I'll do it. Because that's one of the hardest things, isn't it? Sharing, fam uh, sharing the gospel with your own family. Sharing the gospel with people uh, that know you. That were raised just like you. That understand what you're talking about. Yet you see the, the rebellion in their heart. The bitterness in their heart. You see everything, that, the way they live their life. And yet it's the hardest thing to witness to them. I mean, it's, it's the same adversary. Adversary means to have opposition, right? To, to have just an obstacle in your path. Uh, something to make it a little bit more difficult for you. It doesn't matter how difficult it gets. We have to stick to what God has told us to do. And that goes for me and everyone, right? We've got to keep going. We've got to keep pushing forward. 
It doesn't matter what comes up against us. Uh, that's where we have the power to pray. That's our greatest weapon. Um, many, many of y'all um, know um, I've had the privilege of praying, and I think Brother David's example of this is perfect. When God puts a burden on your heart to pray for someone, and to see them saved or to see them in church or something, uh, he always said that he, it was Brother John Davis, wasn't it? Where you felt like the Lord just reached down and touched his heart. Um, but he got the, the burden to pray for his friend. He'd get better. And, uh, and the Lord touched him and made him better. And Brother David said, he said that uh, he started, it started to pump him up. started making his head swell like, look what I just did. But it had nothing to do with Brother David. And it has nothing to do with us when we get burdens uh, to pray for people. But it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to take part in their life. That's a wonderful thing. And when you get a burden for someone, like when I've had the burden to, uh, when Nathan and Chelsea, when they were out and before they both got saved, uh, I've been praying for them for a while to get saved, to get saved, to get saved. And then Chelsea got saved. And then I had me a, a spell like those men did when the foundation got laid. Had me a spell. I was so happy and so thrilled that God allowed me to be a part of praying for someone. That he allowed me to pray for someone and pray them to somewhere. And um, if you were in the choir, you could probably tell the other day when Timothy came to church, I was about ready to shout again. I didn't because I thought I might scare him off. He might get up and leave or move or something. But I was so thrilled. Been praying for him. Y'all know I've been praying for him for a long time to just come to church. And he came. He had to get his shoulder hurt and get off, let off leave from CVS right here. Um... But he came. It thrilled me so much that God would touch his heart, turn his heart just enough to get him to come at least once. Um, and I'm going to track him down and hunt him down until he comes again. But um, anyways, let's move on. I'm just rambling. Um, but anyways, the time had not come. But we look at the word uh, that Haggai gave to the people. It says, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Is it, how, is it time for them to live in their, their closed-off little homes? Um, their, clo their sealed homes and their little... Um, it means to be paneled. To think as if you put... We took and built a home and we put plywood all the way around it and that's all we did. That's the idea. They covered them up and I'm sure back then that was a nice home. Um, but anyway, he, he says, Now there, therefore saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. In verse 6, he says, Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And this is the command of God. He said, look, I'll fix all this. Right here in verse 8, he says, Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. And this is what he tells them in verses 9 through 11. Uh, we'll look at verse 11 for the sake of time. He says, And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. 
God said, I've called for a drought. The reason you're having, you're having no success, the reason you have no crops, you have nothing coming in, nothing to show for all your work, is because you have neglected to do what I've told you to do. That's what he told them. He said, if you get back to what I, if you go down there in verse 8, go, down to, go up to the mountain, bring the wood, and build the house, I will take pleasure in it. You build the house and all this will go away. All the promises I've given to you through the seed of Abraham and through, through Isaac and Jacob, all those uh, promises I've given you, I will still give them to you. You just have to obey. You just have to obey. That's it. And this is the reaction of the people in verse 12. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and the Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, here it is, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him and the people did fear before the Lord. They obeyed the Lord. They obeyed him. And when we get done kind of skimming through this, I want to look back at the time frame of what happened. Because we remember they laid the foundation. Fifteen years later, they're called back to it. They've begun working. They've already begun working. We know that because it said that God told them to go build the house, right? And then it said that they obeyed the word in verse 11. But then we get down here to verse 13 and listen to this. It says, Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message. Now this might be a short message. This is the Lord's messenger, Haggai, in the Lord's message unto the people saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. There's his message. Did you hear it? I am with you, saith the Lord. That's encouraging, isn't it? It's good to know that God's with us. It, it, you would think, you know, some, I was thinking about this the other day. Some people just act like jerks, right? Some people just act like jerks. And sometimes I want to say to him, I want to say, you know, you, you, ought to, uh, you ought to be amazed that God loves you because you're unlovable. You know what? You're an unlovable person. But God loves you anyway. That's what I think when people treat you like dirt, you know. They, they try to just walk all over you. And, and your only way to witness to them or be kind back to them is, you are an unlovable person. <laughs> you ought to be amazed that God even loves you. But um, what happened is, is God said, I am with you, saith the Lord. And really, he had been telling Israel this all along. He told them that every day in the wilderness when they woke up and went outside their tent and saw a man on the ground. He said, I'm still with you. You have forsaken me. You've uh, been bitter. You've moaned and groaned. You've complained about everything I've done for you. All the slavery I brought you out of. But I'm still with you. My grace is still with you. I'm still showing my grace on you. I'm still uh, showing you mercy every day. That, uh, I imagine that that manna to Joshua and to Caleb was like, it was a relief. It was like a thanksgiving time. When they walked out, they said, thank God he's still with us. Thank God we still have a meal. Thank God he's not left us. He should have already left us. He should have already let us be on our own out here. But he's still with us. He's still following after us. And he's still giving us our needs. That had to be just a fresh of air, fresh air, and I can't even say that. Every morning they walked outside those tents and saw that, that manna. That it was just another blessing. It was just God blessing them even more when they didn't deserve it. 
But he said, I am with you. I am with you. And what did it do? It's crazy. When God speaks, it does something to us, don't it? When God speaks to our heart and we hear it, it does something, don't it? It really does. And it did something here, too. It says in verse 14, it says, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua. You have to kind of skip through it. And the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. In the four and twentieth day of the sixth month. So that's the twenty-fourth day of the month. And if you remember correctly, we go back to verse 1. It says, uh, in the first day of the month. In the sixth month, in the first day. So this is twenty-four days after this process begins. And they've already begun in uh, two verses four. Uh, two verses before, to begin building again. They've already begun building again. But they already need to be stirred up again. What stirred them the first time to get them to obey the word of the Lord? Were they not stirred enough? Were they not stirred? This is us right here. You may look bad on them for needing to be stirred, uh, what we look at two verses later, but uh, the truth is, is that we need to be stirred continually. And that comes from walking in the Spirit, right? Don't walk after the flesh, walk in the Spirit. But it said that uh, the Lord stirred up the Spirit. You can only be, I feel like this is, and if there may be a verse or something that I'm missing, I'm skipping over. But uh, you talk about Peter in his epistle when he said that, I stir you up by way of remembrance. Peter wasn't doing the stirring. What was doing the stirring was the remembering what God said. What did the stirring was God. What's doing the stirring here was God. It wasn't so much of what Haggai said. It wasn't that he came and said, I am with you. And that just sparked it throughout everybody. Everybody just started running around, throwing babies and everything else. That's not what happened. The truth is, is that God reached down and touched them, stirred their hearts, stirred their minds, That's what Peter said, I stir your mind up. And you can find this word all throughout, the stir up, that the Lord stirs up. Um, That could be a study for yourself, but the Lord stirred up. Anyways, just 24 days later, now we go into chapter 2. And it says in the seventh month and the one and twentieth day of the month came the word of the Lord. So what happened is, is now we're in the seventh month. And the 21st day, this means absolutely nothing to most of you. I understand that. But to Brother David, I'm sure you know what this is, what day this is. This is the seventh month of the year. And that still means nothing to you, right? (laughs) The seventh month is the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles started on the 15th day and ended on the 21st day. And on the first day of the seventh month, you have a Sabbath. On the tenth day, you had a Sabbath. On the fifteenth day, you had a Sabbath. On the twenty-second day, you had a Sabbath. They were having camp meeting all week, all month, were they not? They were having camp meeting all week. And yet, God still told them in verses yet, uh, in verses yet, in verses four, yet, it's the first word of that verse, uh, be strong. God had to encourage them. They needed uplifting. They needed to be reminded, this is such a discouraged people. They're having to be stirred continually. They're having to be encouraged continually. This is us, is not? That's why we can't hardly make it Sunday to Sunday without going to church and not 
completely losing our salvation over everything, right? Isn't that how it seems? We go to church, we miss a Sunday or two, and all of a sudden we're, we, we almost get backslid that quick. We forget how we're supposed to act that quick. We're the same way. We're a discouraged people in a delayed project. The project of salvation, reaching the lost, the Great Commission, it's a delayed project in this country. It is so delayed. And I realize there are so many being saved that are not, that's going unnoticed. I realize that. And we had three just this week. But I think what's delayed is our, our work. We're not working. If you look at the vast majority of Christians, there's a whole lot more living for themselves than there are living for God. There's very, very few living for God. There's very, very few being obedient unto God. And that is true in almost all cases in all ages of the church. Very few. I think one preacher said that uh, 20% of the people do most of the work around the church. 20% of the people. That's crazy. Anyway, let's keep moving. Let's move on because I, I really want to get to this verse and point out some things. So they're, they're in the seventh month. And uh, the Lord comes up to him and he says, in verse 3, we'll begin reading. He basically said the Lord starts talking to everybody that's there. Um, he says, who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? You remember what I was talking about the first temple, right? This is the second temple. The first temple was Solomon's temple. It was beautiful. It was elegant. It was gold everywhere. And he said, this is in comparison as nothing. What it tells me is two things. One, they've done enough work to this building that they can tell that it's nothing compared to the first one. They've done enough work. They've got enough framework done to realize this thing's little. This thing is nowhere near in comparison as the first one. This thing doesn't reach the capacity of what the other one. This thing doesn't have all the gold. Where's all the gold? This thing doesn't reach it in any way. They've got enough work done to realize it's nothing. And I want to make a correlation here too while we're on that verse. In first, um, I'm going to turn over and read it. You don't have to because it will probably take you, all of us together, too long to even get there. Actually, y'all might beat me there if I told you. In First Kings, here we go. I only got one little bookmarker in this book, so it's kind of hard to keep all the pages marked. Just give me just a second. In First Kings chapter 6, I want to point out one thing. He's talking about the glory. He said... Uh, who among you have seen the first house and said, this thing doesn't compare to the first one? But look in, uh, well, I'm going to read it. Don't look. I promise you there's a King James Bible. It says in 1 Kings, uh, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1, and it says, And it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziph, which is the second month, which he began to build the house of the Lord. So what's happened is Solomon has begun building his temple, right? 
And then in verse 11 through 13, it says, And the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying... Now, this is the first time the Lord has spoken to him during the process. He comes right at the beginning of building the temple and tells him, Concerning this house which thou art in building, if thou wilt walk in my statutes and execute my judgments and keep all my commandments to walk in them, then will I perform my word with thee, which I spake unto David thy father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So that's what God told him. He said, look, if you focus on my statutes, if you focus on my commandments, this thing's going to work out. This thing will be nice. It didn't care about all the gold. God didn't care so much about all the gold and all the fixings. He cared more about their obedience to his commandments and to his statutes. And then we look in verse 9. It says, And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord in the king's house, in all the Solomon's desire, which he was pleased to do. Now every, all the work's done, and God shows up again. And this is the only other time that he showed up. He spoke the first time in the beginning, and then he shows up at the ending of it. And he don't have anything to say about the gold, or the pearls, or the curtains. or He didn't have anything to say about anything, anything they dressed out that, uh, that temple with. It says, the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever. And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my judgments. Then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. But if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye or your children will not keep my commandments and my statutes, which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then will I cut off Israel." in the land of which I have given them, in this house which I have hallowed for, thy, for my name. And I will cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all the people. And we'll quit reading right there. But what he said was, you focus on my statutes and my commandments, and I'll keep this thing going. I'll keep uh, your lineage, your offspring, on the throne of David. He said, I'll support it. I'll protect it. I'll take care of it. But you've got to keep my commandments and my statutes first. And what happened is, is he got over here and he tells him in verse uh, 9 of chapter 2 in Haggai, he says, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. So what's happened is the, uh, the glory is in nothing comparison to the first temple. But God said the glory will be greater in this second temple than the first one. And, that, and I see this correlation. This is what I was talking about earlier. Was uh, I think about the foundation being laid in my heart. The foundation. That's what I read when I... Ezra chapter 3. The foundation got laid. And from the foundation, the glory that comes from it is endless possibilities. Right? It doesn't matter how if you're Charles Spurgeon or you're Aaron Chapman. The glory can be greater than the former. 
Just because he was a great preacher doesn't mean that I can't give God the same amount of glory. It doesn't mean that I can't have as much effect as anybody else. It doesn't mean that you're limited in praising the Lord and bringing glory to God. It doesn't mean that. Just because you don't have the pretty hair or the pretty teeth or anything like that, it doesn't matter. Because that's what a lot of people look at. When they want somebody out front, they want somebody to be great. They, like Adrian Rogers, he's a good-looking guy. Even when he was old, he's a good-looking guy. And a lot of times, them great preachers, they're, they're something to look at, right? That's what the world thinks of Joel Osteen, isn't it? But it doesn't matter what I look like. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what the appearance of everything, right? We can give God glory. We can bring Him the same glory. We can praise Him the same. The temple's, the foundation's been laid. If the foundation's been laid in your heart, you, can, you have endless possibilities of how much you can bring glory to God. It doesn't matter if you look like a shack compared to a, uh, a mansion. And, that, and that, there are shacks compared to mansions in this walk of life, is there not? Me compared to uh, Brother Kevin. I'm a little shack, he's a mansion of a preacher. I'm just a little old shack. But that don't mean that i got to be discouraged and I can't praise the Lord because my building's smaller. Right? We don't have to be discouraged in the abilities that we've been given. The appearance that we've been given. We've got to be ashamed because of who we are. Right? I, I may be, I don't know if I'm wrong for pulling that illustration out of there, but that's all I see when I look at it. Is the fact that I can bring glory to God just like... Uh, these people could bring more glory to God through their little old temple than Solomon ever could in that gold-covered temple. Pure golden temple. That's amazing, isn't it? But I'm going to end. I'm not going to keep going because I think I'll wear y'all out. Y'all won't even be ready for the Kevin to preach. Uh, he says in verse 4, it says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all ye people of the land, and work. And work. Be strong and work. He said, For I am with you. He gave them that reminder again. That reminder that stirred them up just a, a month ago. He gave them the same reminder I am with you. I am with you. Be strong and work. The same charge is given to us. Be strong. And I, you can't help but think about this. Be strong. We're not all strong, we're not equal. But we can be strong spiritually and mentally. We can be strong and work. And I'm going to quit rambling. Hopefully you learned a little bit, maybe history behind the book of Haggai and uh, Ezra. Maybe you learned a little something about it. If not, I apologize for you. For <laughs> uh, anyways, let's pray and we'll be dismissed from Sunday school. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. And we thank you for an opportunity to open your word and to look into it. Lord, I pray that you would have drawn some truths and uh, touched some hearts, Lord, this morning through my uh, feeble attempt, Lord, of trying to teach the Bible. Lord, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, we know it won't return void, but Lord, I pray that it would stick, Lord, that, uh, God, that something in these verses, something in this book, God, that just sticks with someone's heart, that they can't get it off. God, I pray that they go back to it and they'd be able to find truths of their own, Lord, to carry with them, Lord, throughout their day. Lord, I pray that you would bless the service now. I pray that you would bless our Gideon speaker, Lord. I pray that you touch his heart, and I pray that you would, uh, God, just 
let him be spirit-led, Lord. And I pray that you would touch Brother Kevin and the, the message that's on his heart, Lord. I pray that you'd give him liberty to preach, Lord. Give him passion to preach. God, stir his heart up even now, Lord, while he's preparing, Lord. That, uh, he'd come out here and he'd hardly can't wait to preach, Lord. I pray that you would stir him up, Lord. And I pray that you would uh, open the hearts of our people and be ready to hear the word of God. Preach to him. Lord, I pray that we would be grateful for having this opportunity. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, be magnified and glorified in every way possible, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.